You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message from Senior Pastor Robin McMillan. Living Water. Jesus described it in John 4 in his encounter with a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. Why don't we read this together? This is John 4.10. Jesus replied, If you only knew who I am and the gift that God wants to give you, you'd ask me for a drink and I would give you living water. I have water. And I have living water. And I have the nectar of champions here from QT, which will remain anonymous. (laughs) The straw gives it away, but I guess. Living water. What is it? What does living water do? What's it like? How's it different from regular water? Should we want it? Should we pursue it? Should we ask for it? Could it be a metaphor of something else? How do you get it? So what we're looking at this morning is the story of the woman at the well. And there's one idea I want to bring out up front that is easy to miss and really um, remarkable. In this story, Jesus begins it by saying he's thirsty. And through the process of what goes on at the end of the story, he's neither thirsty nor hungry. And the truth of that is, and we don't understand this, our relationship to Jesus satisfies him in ways we scarcely even know or understand. There really are things we can say, there are things we can do that affect, gosh, think about this, affects how the Son of God actually feels from a satisfaction standpoint. You know, I think in our humanity, we're so concerned about what we get, what we need, our lives, we, we fail to see that this really is a relationship. This really is um, a give and take between us and the Lord. There's something that goes on in our lives that can really... Um, Really satisfy the Lord. Um, And so I want us to read this, but I didn't know if I would get to that later, but I think it's really something worth thinking about, that what you do affects God. Isn't that remarkable? It does. It does. And I mean in a good way. We we know in a bad way maybe, but no, there's, there's, you are going to be shocked in this story when you see what delights God's heart. You really are. You're going to be amazed. It's going to give you a fresh sense of hope. It's going to give you an understanding that you don't have to hide from God anymore. 
I mean, you can't anyway. Isn't that crazy? Um, so I want to read, uh, if you want to go to John chapter four, I'm going to start, uh, I'm going to start in verse five and I'm going to tell this story about Jesus and the woman, the Samaritan woman at, uh, Jacob's well. Jesus arrived at the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph long ago. Wearied by his long journey, he sat on the edge of Jacob's well. He sent his disciples into the village to buy food, for it was already afternoon. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink of water. Surprised, she said, why would a, Jew, a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water? Jesus replied, and this is the verse we just read, and there's so much in this one verse. If you only knew who I am and the gift God wants to give you, you'd ask me for a drink, and I would give to you living water. The woman replied, but sir, you don't even have a bucket. And this well is very deep. So where do you find this living water? Do you really think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who dug this well and drank from it himself along with his children and livestock? Jesus answered, if you drink from Jacob's well, you'll be thirsty again and again. But if anyone drinks the living water I give them, they will never thirst again and will be forever satisfied. For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit springing up and flooding you with endless life. The woman replied, let me drink that water. Don't say that with me. Let me drink that water so I'll never be thirsty again and won't have to come back here to draw water. And so Jesus sets the stage. He asks this Samaritan woman for some water. We're going to see in a moment why the Samaritans and the Jews didn't go along very well. She questions the fact that he's even asked her. And then Jesus begins to lay out some amazing ideas that in any normal conversation, uh, the person speaking would have to be a lunatic. But, of course, being Jesus, he's no lunatic. He, he can do exactly what he says. And so he sells this woman on this water that he can give her that's free, that she just needs to ask for. And so she asks let me drink that water so I'll never be thirsty again and won't have to come back here to draw water. And so Jesus says to her, go get your husband and bring him back here. Go get your husband, bring him back here. This is the key to your living water. But I'm not married, the woman answered. That's true, Jesus said, for you have been married five times and now you're living with a man who is not your husband. You have told the truth. And we're going to stop right there.
Who's confused? Anybody puzzled by this exchange? Come on. Are you thinking in with the good air, out with the bad? This is such a wonderful story. Man, it just reveals the heart of God. And so if we go back through this story just to get more understanding and we see really what Jesus is all about. In verse 9, the Samaritan woman says, why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water? Um, in that culture, it was not necessarily the most appropriate thing to do for men and women to even talk that much, number one. Number two, there was an issue. There was a Samaritan Jewish cultural issue. Jews considered Samaritans to be a mixed race with foreign blood and false worship. Jews would have nothing to do with Samaritans and would normally avoid even going through their territory. And the idea was back in uh, Israel's history, the kingdom divided. The Jewish nation divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was Judah. That's where David was. That's where the best kings were. But in the northern kingdom, which really became the Samaritan crowd, they had mixed worship. Uh, they intermarried with other races, which was not the Jewish idea. And so the Jews in Jerusalem, in the southern kingdom, considered Samaritans to be an impure race with a false religion, and they would have nothing to do with them. And there was actually a derogatory expression that the Jews would use. And this is what it was. You are a Samaritan and have a demon. That was a terrible thing you could say to some person. So if there's anyone you're mad at today, here's what you can say to them. No. It wouldn't have the same impact. Actually, in the Gospel of John in chapter 8, the Jews actually said this to Jesus. They said, you're a Samaritan and have a demon. And um, he didn't. But anyway. They used that in their culture to slander anyone they considered less than their level of righteousness, their level of purity. Now, Jesus was willing to violate those cultural norms, those taboos of his day, to simply talk to this Samaritan woman. So he broke the cultural restraints for love's sake. Now, if, if the Pharisees had been there and they realized that woman's social condition, they would have been even more offended with Jesus. Um, and so let's look at this back in verse 10. So with all that going on, what did Jesus offer the woman? Well, he said, if you only knew who I am. Let me say that again because that is so significant. Jesus says, if you only knew who I am. I've been listening to um, some podcasts by a guy named um, John Mark Comer. And they're talking about our culture. And whether you realize this or not, the a huge portion of the blessing of living in America is the direct result of the Judeo-Christian ethic that was prevalent in the uh, beginning of our country and has been here um, expressing its influence for many, many generations. Obviously, it's not the only, uh, only influence. But one of the things that has happened is, in our culture, 
and, though, and, and, and a lot of the blessing and goodness and prosperity that, that is here, you could say are aspects of the kingdom of God that took root here over the different generations. Um, you can actually see three great awakenings in our nation that absolutely transformed society and affected business, gave the woman the vote, was very uh, integral part of ending slavery. All of that uh, has been affected by the church, and that's been aspects of the kingdom of God. But what people want now is they want the benefits of that kingdom, but they don't want the king. They want the benefits, but they don't want the relationship that release those benefits, and it's the only true relationship in our culture or in any culture that must be continued for those kind of benefits to prevail. Another point these people have made is that with all the deconstruction going on, with people uh, deconstructing aspects of their faith because of problems in the church, problems of Christianity, What's happened to many of them is they have deconstructed themselves to the point of no longer being believers. And what needs to happen again in the church, which needs to be going on in your life, is you need the ancient traditions of the church. And what I mean by that is prayer, Bible reading, and being involved in a legit church community. Because all of those... Are, are aspects of preservative that goes right through our society. And I'm going to tell you, the less of that goes on, the more lawless and confusing and crazy our nation gets. And you can look right now in Western Europe where their cathedrals are now museums, where, where Martin Luther and the, and, and the um, Reformation began many hundreds of years ago. They're museums. Because they did not adhere to this person, Jesus, in relationship and practice what it means to be a believer in Jesus. And when you depart from that, you may have life for a season. Just like a tree has life for a season when it's cut down. But when you get separated from your very life source, you will dry up and you will eventually die. Aspects of your life will die. And so Jesus is presenting to this woman who we would consider absolutely ineligible to read anything from God. He says this to her, if you only knew who I am, and then he goes farther, and the gift that God wants to give you, the gift, and then he proves it was a gift. He begins to speak to the woman about her character, which is not, uh, not doing that well. If you knew who I am, Jesus says, and the gift that God wants to give you, you would do what? Ask me for a drink. And here's the truth about Christianity. Here's the truth about the power of God. Here's the truth about the presence of Jesus. Here's the truth about the Holy Spirit and the degree that he's in your life. He will not impose himself upon you. You need to ask. Now, there's this, uh, Andy spoke several weeks ago, remarkable message on wine. And he compared the wine to the Holy Spirit. 
We'll look at that here in a minute. And the aspects of wine or joy, um, loss of inhibitions. Now, I'm, I'm making positive parallels out of perhaps negative ones, nevertheless. Um, an increase in imagination, an increase in uh, creativity. All of that can be associated with, in certain ways, with wine. Now, I'm not a big proponent of everybody drinking wine. Don't misunderstand me. But there are parallels. Paul would say, be not drunk with wine, where it's in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And so I, when I was preaching this a number of years ago, a person in my church um, was a relative of an Italian family in the Chianti region of, of Tuscany, Italy, who had a big vineyard. And he would go to that vineyard sometimes during, during the vintage, and he watched the whole process of the vintage. And what they would do is they would uh, clip the grapes, put them in this uh, vat that had an auger or a screw, and as the screw turned, all the stuff would go down there and the juice would get squeezed out, but there was still pulp, maybe some seeds, some skin. And so there was another process after three or four days, if I understood this right. And that process, they removed the pulp and the skin and the stems from the um, vintage, from the grape juice that was actually in three or four days, it had already become fermented. Now, here's the thing I want to say. They called the stems... And the, uh, the vines and the seeds and the pulp, musto. Say that with me. Musto. Or in our language, must. Must. How many of you understand what the word must means? Hey, you must do this, right? Must. Now, here's the point. To get the purest wine... It's got to be separated from the must. Now, I'm talking about wine in the context of the presence and power and joyful life of God in a believer's heart. To get the most potent relationship with the presence of God, it can't be because someone has forced you, pushed you, or controlled you, or use the must factor on your life. It's a free gift. And it can only be fully enjoyed if you're hungry and thirsty and choose that that's what you want to do and ask. Okay, take your kids to church. Make them go. But don't cram Jesus down their throats. Don't put the must on them. Years ago, I had a friend, and God began to move, and we would pray for a lot of people after the service. And if this guy, if his kids didn't come up and get prayed for, and if they didn't act like God had touched them, which is terrible, act like God touched them, give me a break. But if they didn't demonstrate the fact that God was doing something in their lives, he would make them eat Peanut butter for a week. That's all they could eat. His kids didn't turn out that well. One of my kids was upset one day, and 
at church. They were just young kids. And uh, Donna came over and said, hey, you've got a troubled child in the back. And I said, what are they troubled about? Well, they're troubled that you're going to haul them up front and embarrass them in front of their friends. And I said, oh, okay. Well, I went back and I said, hey, listen, I'll make a deal with you. Your mom told me what your problem is, and I'm part of your problem apparently, but let's make a deal. I will never embarrass you in church in front of your friends if you make me one promise. And he said, what? I said, if the Holy Spirit really touches you, that you'll let him. So he was thinking, I'm off the hook. <laughs> but he was on the hook. And the rest, is, the rest is history. God touched him in an extraordinary way. But you can't make people love God. You can't make people enjoy God. You can't put that must factor on them. It comes from hunger and it comes from thirst. So Jesus offers this woman living water, tells her it comes from knowing him, tells her it's a gift, tells her he could give it to her, tells her God wants her to have it, but she had to ask for it. And then Jesus describes this water. And, and honestly, when I heard the description of this living water, I thought, I might, I might need some more of that myself. He said, if you drink from Jacob's well... You'll be thirsty again, but if anyone drinks the water I give them, they will never thirst again It will be for, and will be forever satisfied. For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit springing up and flooding you with endless life. And so here's what we need to see. And this is either true or it's false. Say true or false with me. It's either true. Or is false. But according to Jesus and according to my experience, at least a limited level, there is something in this living water that has the capacity to cause us to never thirst again, to be forever satisfied. And he says, it will become a gushing fountain. Oh, that indicates it doesn't start as a gushing fountain if it becomes that. Say that with me. It will become a gushing fountain. How many of you ever seen the Mississippi River? How many of you at least seen a picture of it? How many of you have um, eat, eaten uh, crawdads from the Mississippi River with a uh, strawberry milkshake? I just must be. I just want to be sure you're awake. Well, I have been to the headwaters of the Mississippi River. I have been to Itasca State Park in northern Minnesota. And where the Mississippi River starts, you can step over it. And it is the authentic, legitimate, northernmost origin of the incredible Mississippi River. Because as it's, al <laughs> as it's allowed to flow... Unhindered and unimpeded, it grows and grows and grows and becomes. But you could ignore, you could 
you, you could look at it and go, oh, not very impressive. <laughs> the woman says to the creator of the entire world, are you greater than our father Jacob who dug this well? If that doesn't tell you something about Jesus, how many of us would go, greater? <laughs> you don't know who you're talking to. See, we all have those attitudes. You don't know who you're talking to. Greater? Jacob came from me. The earth came from me. I built all of this. But see, he doesn't, he never pulled. See, Jesus is so amazing. He's so kind. He's so patient. He loves so much. He never pulls those, those cards out. To show people because he understands they don't understand. And he's doing everything he knows to do to help them get in touch with him in a way that will transform their lives. If you only knew who I am and the gift God wants to give you. Then he describes this water. You'll never thirst again. You'll be forever satisfied. It will become a gushing fountain. You will be flooded with endless life. And what Jesus does there for me is he does this. He challenges our reason. He challenges our logic. Because to me, some of those things he says don't make any sense. They don't register. And some of those in reality are not part of my Christian experience. Nevertheless, there's a point where if we do not have authentic faith, we will never fully encounter, we will never be as fully transformed as we could be without legitimate, authentic faith, trusting Jesus, believing what he says. So he challenges our reason. He challenges our logic. He says that water will spring up. We will never thirst again unto eternal life. Only faith can lay hold of what Jesus offers us. Now, here's a remarkable thing. Jesus puts all that out there, and the woman says, let me drink this water so I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come back here. And Jesus says, go get your husband, bring him back. And he somehow connects access to this living water with... Um, this woman's most glaring personal issue. Now, if, uh, let's say I had been married five times and I was living a woman I wasn't married to and you, uh, you said to me, Robin, go get your wife. And I said, I don't have a wife. Now that might be true, but it's not the truth. See, so many people hide behind what's true, but they don't really have the truth. So Jesus says, you want this amazing gift? Go get your husband. She says, oh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says to her, that's true. For you've been married five times. Now you're living with a man who's not your husband. You have told the truth. Now, the amazing thing is Jesus is willing you know, how many of us, if we were felt responsible to fix this woman, and we're never responsible to fix anybody, but we can feel that way, how many of us would have gone after her tooth and toenail over what she said? You weren't honest with me. How can I help you if you're not honest? How can I do anything if you don't tell the truth? Now, there was Bob, there was Henry, there was Arnold, there was Josh, there was Jack, and now you've got Billy Bob, and you didn't even marry him, but you married all of them. You've had how many kids? What, you got 20 kids? Uh, 
But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus says, well, let's be a little bit more accurate here, dear. Now, how did he know, first of all, word of knowledge? I mean, he's never met this woman before. I mean, he probably, I don't know if he'd been talking to Samaritans. It's not legit. You've had five husbands, and the man you're married with, the man you have now is not your husband. So it's so it's so classic. But I need to make that point. Jesus actually is willing to affirm to her the truthfulness of what she said to the degree that he can instead of upbraid her, wear her out, and treat her like a second-class, third-class citizen. Now, that to me speaks volumes about this God we serve. And it also speaks volumes about how far from his heart we actually behave a lot of times in our relationships. Is there an amen in the crowd? For goodness sake. So Jesus connects access to the living water with the Samaritan woman being honest about her true condition. Now Psalm 145.18 says this, The Lord is near to all who call upon him. How do you like that? The Lord is near to everyone who calls upon him. Everybody happy about that? One problem, comma, to all who call upon him in truth. Now, that, that's the catch. There's this honesty factor. I may have mentioned this um, several weeks back, but... Uh, Donna and I, for about eight years, lived in this Christian community. I mean, we were living with people. And it was just like Charles Dickens wrote, the best of times and the worst of times. And I got so tired of people. It was, and this one guy started rubbing me so raw, I had just decided that I hated him. I was a Christian. And I hated him. And we were playing volleyball, and he was on the other team. And I kept having this um, impression. I wasn't sure if it was the Lord or not, but I kept having this impression that maybe I should just punch him. <laughs> Through a process of elimination, I realized that was not not the Lord, and I felt terrible about it. And uh, I didn't know what to do. So finally I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, listen, I, I just hate this guy. And the minute I said that in honesty, it's like the Lord gave me living water. All of that hatred just started dissipating, and I thought, this doesn't make any sense. This doesn't make any sense. But there's something so wonderful about God that one of the things that refreshes him is when you come tell him the truth about who you are. And through that process, he will give you living water. But we think it's just the opposite. 
Oh, I can't hate that guy. I'm a Christian. You're not supposed to. How many of you have been through that? And so you got this weird dynamic going on in your heart, in your mind, and it's just wearing you out. I know that's the way I felt. I was exhausted. Now, there was another time, too, where Donna and I had been going out, and how many of you realize Donna's the sweetest woman in the universe? She really is. Any problems we've had been my problems. That's probably not hard to see, but when we were going out, I kept breaking up with her because I was conflicted and I had issues. Somebody say issues. Issues. Those are your issues, though, but I had issues. And so we quit going out, and we probably hadn't really talked for six or eight months. And I was pretty miserable. Um, how many of you have been through situations in life, even as believers, where you felt like you've just lost your peace level is low? And you're just stirred up. And you don't know how to get unstirred up. And then at a given point, maybe the Lord comes. And when he comes to speak to you, he, he just brings your peace back. So I was going to the Living Word bookstore. This is how real this is. And this was over 43 years ago. I was going to this bookstore to go buy another book I probably wasn't going to read to try to figure out what was wrong with me. And suddenly it's like the presence of the Lord was in the car. And I felt that, how many of you know with that great feeling that you get when you're, yeah, the presence of the Lord is something. I went, ooh. It's like I could take a deep breath again. I said, oh, my goodness. And so the problem was the Lord started asking me questions. And that's always a little scary because he never asked questions to get information. And so the Lord said, would you like to get married? Now, I'm thinking, what do you think has been going on around here for like six months to a year? But I didn't say that, and he didn't hear me think it. <laughs> I said, yes. And he said, well, what kind of woman would you like to marry? And I said to her basically, uh, you know, the perfect woman for the ministry, the call of God on my life, maybe play the piano, sing, And the Lord just seeped back out of the car. And I was that same old wretch I had been for a good while. And I thought, I did not get that answer right. <laughs> Somehow I didn't get that right. And so then the Lord came back to me after I understood I hadn't gotten it right. And he really did say this. He said, come on. What do you really want? And I went, oh, oh. And then, you know, just come on, guys and gals. This is just the way it works. Carnal man's desire for a woman. Never mentioned her IQ. Are you listening to me? And look at this beautiful woman. And then we got married just within a few months after that. The Lord just did this miraculous thing. But see, the Lord is near you when you call on him. But you got to tell him the truth to get that breakthrough sometimes. How many of you are listening to me? The woman at the well, you want living water? 
Oh, got to have it. Go get your husband. You see, this woman had been pursuing life in the only ways maybe she knew through finding her fulfillment in marriage, finding her fulfillment in human relationships, sex, security, but it wasn't, it wasn't working. You know, one of the things about this idea of a man completing a woman and a woman completing a man, guess who's at odds with that idea? Because if you complete her, there ain't nothing left for you. She took what you... No, it's not about two missing pieces. It's just... It, no, no, here's what you need. You need a complete man marrying a complete woman. Who both are looking to God for their stability, for their resource, even for their love. Who love each other. And to me, I mean, Donna and I went through a lot of that kind of thing. And I had to say it one time. I said, Donna, I don't know what you're looking to get from me. And it's not that I don't love you with all my heart. But whatever that is, I don't have it to give. I think there's some of this you've got to get from the Lord. Okay. The woman then says to Jesus after he brings to her attention that he knows all about her life, she wants to argue religion. Where do you worship? We didn't cover that part, but it's in there. Jesus comes back and says this to her. Dear woman. Somebody say that phrase with me. Dear woman. Now, from the text, it simply says woman. But when Jesus spoke to her, the word he used for woman was a term of endearment. Do you hear the heart of God for this woman? He's doing everything he can not to distance himself from her, but to help her break through into receiving everything Jesus has for her. So he says to her, dear woman, from here on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. For God is the Spirit, and he longs to have sincere worshipers who worship and adore him in the realm of the Spirit. Eventually, this woman says, this is all so confusing, but I do know that the anointed one is coming, the true Messiah, and when he comes, he will tell us everything we need to know. Jesus said to her, you don't have to wait any longer. The anointed one is here speaking with you. I'm the one you're looking for. Here's the truth. Since the resurrection, the anointed one is here, right here. And we don't have to wait any longer to receive from him. So what was her response? The text says she dropped her water jar and ran off to her village and told everyone about Jesus. She dropped her water jar. She didn't even take any water home with her. Why did she not take any water home with her? She'd been drinking living water. She'd been able to open up her heart. She'd been able to talk to this man, Jesus and, and if you read the text, I think he had more of a conversation with her than just those words. Because when the disciples came up, he was still talking to her. It seems like Jesus went through her entire life, told her every single issue she had in a way that relieved her from her guilt, but not her responsibility. But she needed to be honest with her, uh, with him, and she began to receive a level of mercy, 
tangible, experiential mercy that she had never, ever known before. And it was so effective, she went back to her village, told her testimony, because I guess everybody there knew what kind of woman she had been. Everyone in that village comes out. They begin to believe in Jesus. He stays there for two full days, and she becomes the first evangelist in the New Testament to win an entire village to Jesus. In two days, she went from what she was to what she became. Anybody happy about that? That's remarkable. That's remarkable. Now, here's what you may not know, and I didn't know until recently. The Eastern Orthodox Church, in their historical records of the church, say that her name was Fotini, She became a remarkable evangelist from that point on. She was so good at it, she was named as an apostle. Hard to believe, but that's exactly what they did. And I believe there are new, I could prove it to you, but don't have time right now, women apostles in the New Testament. And suffered as a martyr for her faith. That's a transformation. Now, Let me make some points. Jesus is willing to violate cultural taboos to give living water to the thirsty. Notice how kind he is. You've told the truth, he said. Dear woman, point number three, being honest with God enables us to access living water. We need to realize it's a gift. By knowing who Jesus is personally, it comes by asking. It's a promise. I would give you living water, and it's the Holy Spirit. One of the things I like about the Bible is it compares the Holy Spirit not to just water, but also to wine. Now, I'm not going to get into that now because I want to pray for people. Anybody want some living water? Um, I have water here. We're, We're not a prop church, but sometimes they just work. That's not living water. This, on the other hand, uh oh. That's what Jesus wants to give us. Would anyone like some living water this morning? uh, Jesus said, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. How many of you are thirsty? Yeah, why don't you stand up if you're thirsty? Now, no pressure, really, no pressure. And there's no club to join or nobody cares. What we care about is you and God helping you. What was the process 
Jesus gave the one. Let, let me ask this. How many of you, and don't raise your hands, how many of you have truth issues in your life you have been afraid to look at? I see your non-hand. If that's you, do not raise your hand. I see you. <laughs> that is really funny. Come on. <laughs> How many of you are willing? Listen, I've stood up here and I just bared my heart. Pastor Robin hates people. Pastor Robin has a lust problem from his past, whatever. But Pastor Robin knows Jesus. Pastor Robin's met Jesus. Pastor Robin has found out. I found out I can tell Jesus the truth and get transformed. How many of you want that? I'm going to ask the Lord right now just to search your heart. And let's, let's wait. Let's just wait here a little bit. John's going to play some. And I want you to ask the Lord to uncover anything in your life that you just need to simply admit to him without fear or without condemnation that you know you just need to face up to. Wave at me if you understand what I'm saying. Wave at me if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. We're just going to wait a few moments. Wait on the Lord. Let the Lord. You can worship God with a true heart, the Bible says. Why don't you quietly just talk to the Lord about it? I don't know how you need to do that. I can't figure all this out, but talk to him about it. Tell him how you feel. Tell him what you think. Tell him what you're dealing with. Tell him what you're giving him. I don't know how that works. But remember who he is. When you're honest with him, he drinks. When you're honest with him, he's satisfied in him. He wants to satisfy you in return. Now let's do this. two things I can't do. I can't be you and tell him your truth. Number one. Number two, my asking Jesus to give me living water, to give me more of the Holy Spirit, I can't do that for you either. That's something you need to do. But I'll tell you this, when reality of the spirit increases in your life he will increase your peace he will increase your joy he can increase your creativity he can increase your uh, energy level every bit as dynamic as the water that came spewing out of that container 
but you have to ask him. Jesus would say it this way, if any man is thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. And the way you drink is you believe. You ask. How many of you want to ask that the Lord would touch you? Just ask. Say, I don't know how. Lord Jesus, I'm asking like the woman at the well. I'm asking for a drink. I'm asking for the presence of God to increase in my life. I'm asking. Bible says you have not because you ask not. Do yourself a favor. Ask out loud. Don't spend all your life in your brain. Do yourself a favor. Ask out loud if you're serious. Ask out loud. Don't just do this in your mind. You have not because you ask not. It doesn't say you have not because you didn't think in your mind that God wants to give it to you. No, you have not. You humble yourself. You do it the Bible way and God meets you. Just ask out loud. Lord, give me that water. Lord, give me what he was talking about. Let me have a drink. Several weeks ago when people came forward and we prayed, one of the testimonies I heard was that when the Holy Spirit touched this woman, she stopped being angry. She stopped being angry. Father, we ask now that you would empower people today. Lord, we're not using gimmicks and tricks to make this happen. We're we're declaring the counsel of God. We're saying, ask of me and I will give you. The Bible actually says, latter rain in the time of the latter rain. I will give you showers of blessing. I will pour out my spirit upon you and your offspring, on your sons and on your daughters. They will encounter me. They will know me. For this is my covenant with them, it says in the book of Hebrews. They shall all know me from the oldest to the youngest, from the wisest to the least, for I shall forgive their sins. They shall know me through the forgiveness of their sins. Like the woman at the well, when her life was laid bare, she met Jesus because she could give him what he wanted from her. Taste and see that the Lord is good, it says in the Bible. Psalm 23, it says, you have prepared a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. And verse five says, my cup runs over. English translation, the Septuagint translation, the one the apostles read, it says this, for your inebriating cup, how wonderful it is. That overflowing cup of God's presence, that that wine of heaven, that intoxicating living water from heaven wants to infiltrate your life. 
It wants to touch your heart. It wants to relieve you of anxieties and fears, of temptations and doubts, of angers and resentments, of unforgiveness and frustration. Let that spirit do its work now. man is thirsty, Jesus said, let him come to me. Let him come to me. Let him come to me and drink. And out of his belly, out of his bowels, or out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he, the Bible says, of the Holy Spirit, who had not yet been given, for Jesus had not yet been glorified. But Jesus has been given. He has been glorified. And that spirit is here now, hovering over you, releasing in you new life, fresh new dreams. I see right now that that the spirit of God, and, and be open to this, the spirit of God is touching your mind and giving you new creative ideas. Let's say yes to that. He's giving new songs. He's giving new business concepts. He's giving new relational graces to restore uh, failed marriages, to restore failed relationships, to heal broken hearts. The Spirit of God is here now, but He is giving dynamic new ideas, dynamic, creative, new thought processes. He's blowing off of your mind old ideas, old concepts. Some of you have been in like these psychological ruts. He's pulling you out of that old mindset, that old way of thinking, that old idea, that old pressure, that old impression, that old thought pattern. And he's actually putting into your mind new neurons or whatever those pathways are that break into new ideas, new thoughts new faith, new vision. He's releasing the reality of the new creation. That you can actually be somebody new, somebody else. If any man is in me, he is a new creature. He's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Then it says, behold, You have to behold the new creation. All things are made new. Look to that new creation. Look away from that old man. Look to that new thing. Listen to that new thing. Listen to that fresh vision of Jesus. Listen to that newness of life. Listen to that new dispensation. Listen to that new attitude. Listen to that new heart set. Let that come, Lord. We say yes. I say yes, Lord. I say yes. I agree, Lord, with the reality of the new covenant, with the reality of being forgiven, with the death of my old man, with the resurrected life I have now in Jesus.
bless you, Jesus. Oh, how wonderful you are. Lord, we just embrace you. We lay hold of you. We thank you. We offer to you, Lord, the fruit of our lips, Lord, thanksgiving and praise. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our midst. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Let's do this. In a minute, I'm going to ask us to take a corporate deep breath. Let me say that again. I'm going to ask us together to take a corporate deep breath as an act of faith to breathe in a fresh impartation of the Holy Spirit. Now, spirit, wind, breath, all those words are synonymous. He came as a rushing mighty wind. So how many of you want to take in a corporate fresh breath? Okay, at the count of three, I want you to release one breath and bring in another. One, two, three. Thank you, Lord. That's a little strange that people are thinking. Let me tell you what strange is. Strange is when Jesus spits on mud and puts it on your eye for healing. That would be strange. So receive by faith an impartation. Amen. Everybody okay? Anybody feel like they made a move? Come on, talk to me. Anybody feel like they got something? Really, let's respond. You need to, you need, you must. No, you must not. I advise you, though all wisdom that you would be thankful to the Lord this morning for something fresh and something new. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.